0: Welcome to Anthropod. I'm Katherine Sacco.
1: And I'm Tariq Rahman. And today we're bringing you the first of three episodes centered around ethnography and design. And Catherine and I came up with the idea to put this series together when we found out about a conference being held at the University of California, San Diego, entitled Ethnography and Design Mutual Provocations. Uh, the conference was organized by the UC Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design, and really explored uh, some of these fascinating intersections between the two fields, um, such as anthropologists that study design, designers that use ethnography, and multiple other things.
0: In these episodes, we're hoping to build on some of the really fascinating conversations that came out of that conference, starting today with an interview with Dr. Cassandra Hartblay, who was one of the conference organizers. She's a sociocultural medical anthropologist, and she's currently a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Communication at the University of California, San Diego, a position supported by the University of California Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design, or COLED.
1: Yeah, and we had a great conversation with Cassandra, um, discussed a range of topics, including some of the different meanings of design that exist out there, um, some of the different ways that ethnography is used to explore it, uh, her work on disability, which intersects with design in some truly fascinating ways, um, and even some of the projects she's working on uh, in terms of public anthropology.
0: So we're really excited to share this conversation with you, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We're really looking forward to this conversation. We were hoping we could start off with talking a little bit more about the UC Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design, which organized this conference. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that project? Um, What are the goals of the project and how did it originate?
2: Sure. So the UC Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design, or COLED for short, is something that came out of an effort to sort of see more engagement across campuses around an idea that Alana Zilberg had called ethnographic design. And so Alana Zilberg is um, here at UC San Diego and then working with other people on this campus in the anthropology department um, in the communication department and in Biz Arts, they founded the Studio for Ethnographic Design, which is sort of a campus-wide um, interdisciplinary conversation and in space, uh, sort of like a working group kind of model. And that came together around the idea that graduate students were sort of casting about in terms of what do we do when it comes to ethnographic methods. Um, and not just methods in the sort of sense of how do I transcribe an interview, but what are the sort of epistemological questions that come out of how we design our research and thinking about the ways that there are challenges in doing ethnography in the contemporary world that classical ethnographic um, methodologies maybe don't speak to as much. And the Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design um, came out of an initial grant to the UC Office of the President to build an intercampus collaboratory to look at um, how do we build these conversations across campuses, and the idea there was that uh, the UC system has for many years been a really uh, sort of unique place for ethnography, not only within the discipline of anthropology but also in gender and race and critical race studies and um in the arts and but that the campuses don't always do the best job of talking to each other. So we go to our national conference, but um what could be done here? And so the group wrote a grant and got a two year planning grant uh through the UC Office of the President. And that's sort of the birth story of co-led um, in terms of the word collaboratory um, Paul Revenau was using this word uh and it's been used in design context as well as sort of an idea about um developing knowledge in a way that's not driven by a single person but by collaboration between um different people so the initial idea was how can we collaborate to better understand how we're designing ethnography. But then, as we started having our sort of series of workshops around ethnographic design, we realized very quickly that we were going to have to contend with a bigger problem, which was the different ways that anthropologists approach design or engage with ideas of design.
0: So it sort of expanded out from from there.
2: Yeah, so it really grew from the initial idea because, um, you know, I think if you look... At the ways that anthropologists talk about design, Arturo Escobar has a really sort of succinct formulation, which is that there's critical ethnography of design, and then there's um, applied ethnography for design, right, which is ethnographers in industry doing qualitative research in order to feed back into project, product design or um doing design research or user experience design in order to make a product or a company better. Um, and then uh, there's sort of a third way, which would be thinking about how ethnography redesigns the world or redesigns the social or how engaging with design can come back into what how we understand what we're doing as ethnographers. Um, and so the challenge facing COLED was to sort of say, how do we create a space that's going to be uh, nurturing and interesting and um, engaging for all of those three different ways of understanding this intersection of design and ethnography.
1: Could you tell us a little bit um, then about how the conference came together, what motivated the idea to do a conference?
2: Sure. We really wanted to sort of bring this question of what is this intersection of design and ethnography, and how is it contested by these sort of different ways of understanding what's at stake in, in the intersection, uh, together with some of the people who are thinking about it, right? Because you know, one of the things that you start to do when you're thinking about social science and its implications over the long run is to wonder how are we going to contribute to the growth of the discipline, but then also how are we going to contribute, uh, as a discipline to broader conversations that are happening in the world. And this word design was coming up in conversations, um, it's one of the ways that anthropology is getting recognized outside of the discipline itself but ethnographers and anthropologists hadn't necessarily sat down and had a sustained conversation about that in a in a sort of coherent and intentional way so we we thought well if if we can put this together then that's something that the people who are talking about this in different places would be really interested in so You know, on the one hand, it was a question about how transdisciplinary ideas about design and design practice were affecting how other people perceived ethnography. And then on the other hand, it was an opportunity for the ethnographers in our network to sort of um, get to see face-to-face and and have conversations with colleagues. And as that network was coming together... um, one of the things that people kept saying over and over again was that they really wanted space to build community Um, because i think more and more we find that the ways that our conferences are structured um, if you think about the large conferences you show up you run around you sit in a hotel room and frantically type um, you go read a paper you have breakfast and then you leave and as we had sort of gone through the first year of the colored process, we really found that the moments that were the most fulfilling for ethnographers who were really thinking about how they practice ethnography were the more playful moments, um, the more performative moments. Um, and so while the intellectual and academic work of addressing how we understand the intersection of design and ethnography were really important, um, the more... Sort of hands on, experiential, um, performative engagements and informal conversations between scholars, we realized are some of the most valuable. So we were, we sort of took that as our agenda for planning the conference in the sense of if you could recreate the best hallway conversation that you had at the AAA yearly meeting and make that into a whole conference, what would that conference look like? And so that was are sort of, I forget who said that, but it was somebody said it at one of the workshops. And so we sort of took that and said, okay, what is that like weird conversation that you have that then totally flips how you're planning your project going forward or how you're interpreting your data? And so we sort of just sat down and wrote up a a grant proposal for that conference saying humans are bricolores. That's a fundamental anthropological insight. Everything we do, all of the enduring fascinations of anthropology are based in how humans have taken the materials in a given environment or taken the possibilities uh, and created material and social configurations, right? That's sort of what we're interested in. But then all these different ways the design gets taken up, we haven't really resolved what we mean by that, and even within our co-led network, there is a fair amount of tension between someone like Keith Murphy, who spends his time in the design lab doing ethnography with designers, someone like Lily Arani, who's trained in uh, human computer interface design, and then someone like Alana Zilberg, who's thinking about how do we design ethnographic projects. And I think that there is a real tension there. You know, I think that there is a real sort of discomfort with feeling like we had picked a word that had meaning to different people, but didn't necessarily create unity of meaning. And so in designing the conference, one of the most important things we were looking to do was to create a format for our conference that would allow those uh, differences to exist, not necessarily side by side so that they're not engaging with one another, but so that they're actually in conversation with each other.
0: And we want to make sure to get a chance to discuss your own research. From what I understand, your work has focused on adults with disabilities um, in Russia and the former Soviet Union. Um, so would you be able to talk a little bit about how ethnography and design play have played out in your own research?
2: Right. So I started out um, considering disability in Russia from a sort of uh, vantage point of straddling, on the one hand, medical anthropology, and on the other hand, disability studies, which has its own sort of body of theory and uh, scholarly conversation. Uh, So similar to the way that gender studies or LGBT studies would have or has its own theoretical contribution to make, uh, disability studies is... Committed both the not only the the sort of identity orientation of writing about quote unquote about disability, but also to understanding how um, thinking critically about disability can then shift how we understand a normative uh, perspective. And a big project of disability studies is to understand how a systematic um, process of ableism reproduces the marginalization and domination of people with disabilities in the world. So, similar to the way that critical race studies or post-colonial thinking might think about those subject matters and then produce theory that has implications for other types of scholarship, Uh, that's what disability studies seeks to do. And obviously, there's a lot of overlap there with the work of medical anthropology to understand what the moral imperatives of suffering in the world might be or what, how particular types of bodies come to be medicalized or treated differently or understood differently in the world. But they're quite separate conversations. And so there's a handful of scholars who are working to sort of bridge those gaps. And my interest in Russia was really based on a question that I had about how disability is perceived as being a natural category. Um, So like pornography, we think of disability as something that we know it when we see it. But it's actually you know like many other things when you start to think about it contingent on a historical context and a cultural context so that something that we understand is a mild impairment that's not disabling uh, now uh, in this particular time and place like wearing glasses or contacts uh, you know if i wasn't wearing my contacts i wouldn't be able to get around and glasses are sort of seen as a fashion accessory but if we were to leave san diego and go to rural mongolia uh, right now, uh, where it's hard to get optical technology, uh, then the same physical body would create a much different set of circumstances. So, disability scholars, uh, make a distinction between the impairment, which is the body, and its ways of perceiving and moving through the world, and disability, which is the cultural and social and historical configurations of how a body uh, is perceived as being disabled or non-disabled. Basically the idea is that as anthropologists we haven't done a sufficient job in interrogating our normative assumptions about what kinds of bodies uh, humans inhabit and which of those bodies are worthy of attention uh, for ethnography, for archaeology. And how the sort of social implications of the variety of human bodies uh, create cultural formations of care, of kinship, of belonging, of exclusion, of modes of education, and then also crucially for this conversation, um, for the assumptions for design and infrastructure. So when we think about the built environment of the world that we live in, uh, sidewalks, buses, Um, elevators and staircases um, buildings and chairs um, and like the shape of the handle on your can opener Uh, all of these things are designed they're formulated in a plan by a designer so what we generally don't think about with infrastructure and of course. And what we know about infrastructure is that good infrastructure is invisible, right? You don't see it. It seems to be as if it were natural and are always already there, um, when in fact it requires constant maintenance. The built environment is built for particular bodies. Um, so I was talking to Joe Hankins, who um, was also on the conference committee with me, and he did his fieldwork in Japan. And he was staying at my house one time, and I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but our shower head is really low, and Joe's about six foot Three, I think and he said to me oh I'm so used to that I lived in Japan and that's a perfect example of the way that design is contingent on a cultural context that is not only cultural but the, there are cultural or local presumptions about what a bo- what body an object or a tool is designed for so one of the fundamental experiences of disability is feeling like the world was designed for someone other than you and that comes through in the ways that we communicate, in the ways that we share information, in the ways that we move through space. Um, and different impairments have different imp- implications for encountering design for normative bodies. Um, but so, one of the questions that I had in my field work was to try to understand what the post Soviet built environment and post Soviet design practices, and then the ways that people with disabilities experience that resulting built environment can tell us about the moral implications of design. Keith Murphy has written about the ways the design itself is always an intervention into the world as it is or could be. And that's a profoundly moral thing for a human to do, to say, I think it would be better if blank is already a moral statement. And so designers, that's what they're hoping for, right? Um, They're hoping that the shape of the can opener handle uh will fit the hands of more people so that someone with arthritis and someone with this who's a kid with small hands and someone with really large hands can all use the same mass manufactured can opener so i think the way that anthropologists tend to think about design is to associate it with mass production and um the growth of global capitalism because something like a can opener can only exist if We already have standardized tin cans that are vegetables and reconstituted beans and chili con queso or whatever all come in, right? But then I think what someone like uh, Keith has to say is, look, um, anthropology and design are both kinds of expertise that you learn through a professionalization process. So it's not clear that as ethnographers or anthropologists, we have a moral high ground to stand on here. What complicities do ethnographers also have? What I think the disability perspective brings to design is a question about other kinds of complicities that design has in terms of remaking the world. Um, And one of both the strengths and dangerous elements of design is not just that sameness that is produced in the objects themselves through mass production, but the sameness that's assumed about the users at the end. Um, so there's a lot of, um, conversation in design about designing for a user instead of designing for the designer or user experiences. But at the same time, I don't think there's been a full resolution about which humans get to count as a user. And I think disability complicates that in a way that race or gender don't quite do. So the post-Soviet context has its own configuration of infrastructure and mobilizations of political will to change or not change the built environment that is specific. And so what ethnography can do in that situation is to say, what does ableism look like in the built environment in this particular place in time?
1: So what what role do you see this uh intersection between ethnography and design playing in public anthropology? And do you maybe feel an even more pressing need to be involved in that kind of work in um, the current political climate?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this less than a week after um, the presidential election. So at this moment, I think you know, we're gearing up for a AAA meeting. And I think there, I think it's a hard time to want to go to a conference because I think a lot of anthropologists want to sort of stay home and process and work in their own communities because a lot of our students are threatened. Um, some of us are threatened, uh, by the white nationalist platform of the president-elect and, I think a lot of anthropologists got into the field because they saw a capacity for ethnography to make an intervention or shift a conversation. My girlfriend was saying recently that she was explaining what I do to an engineer. She's a structural engineer. Um, So she builds power lines, and um, that's like, or the towers that hold up power lines. So that's like so different. Uh, than what we do as ethnographers but uh she said to her colleagues like oh yeah well she's like really into social theory and uh then she came back and told me this great response which was oh well like physics is based on theories and that's what we do so all of physics is theories and then people do research and then they take those theories and the research and then they create the standards and the policies that govern how we construct the towers that we work with you know how we know which materials to use and how to source them and how to put them together and so social theory that's probably like doing the same thing but for you know social and political life like they, they must come up with that with theories about how social life could should be structured and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> I think you just understood what I'm trying to do <laughs> in a totally different way um but so I think there's sort of an impulse in ethnography that there is a possibility for redesigning the social um, and a kind of hope in what Artur Escobar calls it ontological design, uh, that we can potentially, by cracking open our ontological assumptions, meaning our assumptions about what makes up the world and what is possible in the world. By doing research about what's really happening, ethnographers have an opportunity to propose a different design for how social relations unfold. And I think that a lot of ethnographers come to ethnography precisely for that hope or sense of enchantment or possibility. And in terms of public anthropology, I do think that there's a, capacity for ethnographers to produce work that is an output that is interesting and aesthetically engaging for a broader audience than scholars alone Um, and recently I've been working on a play project based on my ethnographic research that was recently staged here at UCSD at La Jolla Playhouse um, that builds on The interviewed transcripts from my research participants, adults with disabilities in Russia, and I worked with one of my collaborators from the field to come here and stage it, and and then also with colleagues in the theater program here and a collaborator from North Carolina um, to develop the script and uh, present stage workshop. Um, And one of the really interesting insights that came out of that process is that Uh, In ethnography, we tend to tell each other, make it really explicit what you mean, and the best quote for a written article is the quote where it's very, very clear. Somebody says the same thing three times in a row in three different ways, so that when you read it and then when you unpack it, it's very clear what is being said. But in theater and in performance, it's kind of the opposite. The most boring play you could imagine would be if somebody said the same thing three times in a row in three different ways. And it's much more interesting if someone says one thing three quarters of the way and then the actor fills in the rest and then the audience fills in the rest. Um, So the way of presenting the work in that medium of performance uh, really shifted my understanding of what audiences do as co-theorists, and what the role of the ethnographer can be in terms of taking an idea or sensibility or um, way of understanding the world and and carrying it over to a different audience. And one of the really cool things about that project was that when the script was almost done, we took it back to the field site in Russia and the six people whose stories were represented in the work each read and commented in, on the script and you know vetoed something that they didn't like if that was the case and then also had like a day-long workshop where we read through the whole script from start to finish and, and they edited it along with me so I think there are a lot of models potential models for how we can design ethnographic outputs, not necessarily the research or how we conduct the research, but then how do you uh, manipulate the data that you get from the research and then share it uh, more broadly or with the community uh, that it came from. And we don't really have a good way yet in this discipline of documenting the variety of possibilities for doing that. Uh, We tend to create new monikers and stick things in those boxes Uh, so visual anthropology gets photography and documentary film and performance ethnography gets performance and um uh, sensory ethnography or humanistic anthropology get writing that's more creative than social scientific ethnography but actually the impulse of all of those is kind of the same and i think one of the things that we're trying to get at with this idea of ethnographic design is cracking open that sense of enchantment around what we've discovered about the world and how we share it with an outside audience.
1: So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with us, Cassandra. We really enjoyed the conversation and um, we're uh, looking forward to hearing uh, much more from you in the future.
2: Great. Thank you so much for coming down and I enjoyed it. also.
1: Been listening to Anthropod, the podcast of the Society for Cultural Anthropology.
0: We'd like to thank Cassandra Harpley for taking the time to speak with us, as well as Liliana Gill, our executive producer, who provided invaluable feedback on this episode, and the UC Collaboratory for Ethnographic Design for permission to record at their conference.
1: Be sure to look out for the second installment of this series when we'll be speaking with Keith Murphy, Associate Professor of Anthropology at the University of California, Irvine. This episode of Anthropod was produced in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. You can subscribe to Anthropod via iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and you can also find us at cultanth.org. That's c-u-l-a-n-t-h.org. There on the website, you can find out more about this series on ethnography and design and all of our previous episodes, as well as the journal Cultural Anthropology.
0: You can also find the Society for Cultural Anthropology on Facebook and Twitter at CULANTH.
1: I'm Tariq Rahman.
0: And I'm Katherine Sacco. Thanks for listening.